Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel where you can access all of our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. We're doing a series called Old Time Religion, and it's a series about uh, me reminiscing regarding first things that impressed me in my beginning year or two or four of my journey of faith. These are sermons and sermon topics and ideas and sayings that I heard that impacted me, that put me in a pathway of passion to go after God and discipleship, uh, to chase after what I thought he was saying to me regarding preaching and also life anchors that have held me through years uh, up to the present day. A lot of the things that are those anchors, those, those solid foundations are things that impacted my life at the very start. Anybody else have sort of like that too? Well, today, uh, the topic, uh, no creativity involved, uh, stealing this one, Jesus loves me, this I know. There's a fine line between love and theft. There really is. Jesus loves me, this I know. Um, I cannot even remember the first time I heard that song. Uh, probably heard that song before I even knew I was alive on earth, you know. Um, but, you know, I believe that song is, is probably all around the world. I was reading about something that took place in 1943 during World War II when uh, John F. Kennedy's PT-109 boat was rammed and sunk in, near the Solomon Islands, and um, they went out to search for survivors, uh, to retrieve survivors. And in that search, the Marines took some people, some natives from the islands, out to help search. And as they were riding in their boat, the natives were singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. They had been taught that song by missionaries who came to that island. Wow. That song's probably universal now. They probably sing it in China in the underground church. They probably sing it in Iran in the underground church. Jesus loves me. This I know. I chose a passage to get started today uh, to focus on something about the love of Jesus. And you may not think that this would be the go-to book, but it's from the book of the Revelation, and it's in chapter 1 near the start. And in the Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5, John has just greeted the churches in Asia Minor, and he says, uh, from John, your brother and a bondservant, and then he says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I just want to pray one more time. 
Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is in the church. And the Holy Spirit has never been placed in the church to be an observer, but an influencer. I pray that the ministry of the Holy Spirit would manifest the powerful presence of Jesus in such a gripping way that it would almost be like we see in the imagination of our spiritual eyes the Son of Man standing in the midst of the blazing lampstands as John saw. But I pray that we'd not only see you, but experience what this thing is all about, what we're talking about today. That you love us. We pray that you would manifest that love to every one of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. To him who loves us, Loves is a verb in a present active tense. Loves, not loved, loves. Loves, love, 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 love. The word is agapayo, agapayo. It comes from the root word agon, agon, which means much. And agape is one of the many words used for love in the Greek language. There are other words for love in the Greek language, but the word agape in the Greek language means to have a desire so full for the well-being of somebody else that you're willing to do whatever it takes, even sacrificially, so that that other person experiences that well-being that you want them to have. That's a lot of words to des describe agapayo. That's the word John uses. In other words, the one who much loves us, who much loves us, who loves us in such a way that he is passionate that we experience all of the well wishes, the well intentions, the loving kindnesses from heaven. He wants us because he well wishes that he much loves us, present, active, that he freed us in an action of the past from our sins by his blood. This is the love of Jesus. It's present, it's active. This love from Jesus was secured in a once and for all moment in the past where he freed us from our sins by the shedding of his blood, which released throughout all of the ages to come much love to us from Jesus. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves me, loves me still, though I'm very weak and ill. From his shining throne on high comes to watch me where I lie. Jesus loves me. He will stay close beside me all the way. I love the all the way God. All the way. If I love him, when I die, 
He will take me home on high. Yes. Come on. Yes, Jesus. Sing it. Let me hear you. Awesome. It, it was written by Anna Bartlett Warner in 1860. And it wasn't written as a song. It was written as a, it was written as a poem. A poem. Her sister wrote a novel called Say and Seal. And it was written about this little child who was dying. And Anna wrote this poem that in the scene of the novel, the woman is saying these words to her dying child. But a man by the name of William Bradbury added music to it and the refrain, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. So it wasn't a song, it was a poem, and somebody else added a tune to it, and now it's being sung all over the world. Isn't it something how one person doing one thing and another person doing another thing can take something that in and of itself may have never gotten out of a book, but now it's being sung in languages all around the world. You just never know what God might do through the submission of your life. You just never know. So I'm 17 and a half years old. Let's go back there again. And I remember feeling so depressed and under all this conviction for about a month prior to the morning at the Wesleyan Church that I've talked about. And I think I know why. My mom's prayer. It was a Wednesday night and she went up to an altar on a Wednesday night and recommitted herself to Christ. God did something in her life and she also turned, this is her quote, turned her family over to the Lord. And unbeknownst to me, I think that put me on heaven's most wanted list. Because for the next month, I was miserable. I mean, I was a partying senior uh, well, actually, freshman at 13th grade. That's what we called Allegheny College at the time. It was 13th grade. Some people went there to study. Some of us went to the game room. So we went to the game room, and some of us were still involved in all kinds of organ organic chemistry and things like that, and I was one of those. But I was under tremendous guilt and conviction that just kind of like it just came out of nowhere in my life, and there it was, and I didn't like it at all. One of my friends from that day is here today, and, and he's always here, and we're buddies, and we always talk about our, how, how God did something in our life. And I remember even making all those guys miserable when, when, when we'd be out on a Saturday night and everybody would be trying to have a good time. And I'd, say, I'd just out of the blue go, you know, if we die, we're going to go to hell. I mean, they were like, what is wrong with you, dude? What is wrong with you? I'll tell you what was wrong with me. My mother prayed a prayer on a Wednesday night. That's what was wrong with me. 
That's what was wrong with me. Jonah wasn't quite swallowed in the whale's belly yet, but he was going down fast. I'll tell you how God tried to get my attention. I set my morning alarm to DC 101. Any former hippies in here from the 70s? DC 101 with the grease man. I don't recommend that for your children. But uh, that was my morning alarm. And, and I wake up one morning to get ready so I can go to, uh, to 13th grade. And I, I'm, you know, usually in the morning, and I do know the difference between the Grateful Dead and Black Sabbath. I got off my game last week. <laughs> and, you know, all you, all you guys out there that knew it, here's what I heard from a bunch of you last week. Oh, we knew you were doing that. <laughs> well, why did, listen, why didn't you go, hey, next time, next time I say Mick Jagger's the lead singer for the Beatles, wave at me, okay? <laughs> wave. We're doing this thing on, it goes out on telly and all that stuff. We don't want, you don't, help me out. Don't just stand there, don't stand there and watch me drown, okay? You know, save me, throw a line, wave, say, hey, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong camp. Jerry's fine, it's Ozzy that needs Jesus. Anyway, so it's DC 101 and the alarm goes off and it's not Ozzy and it's not Van Halen, Highway to Hell, it's you might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. Money, drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor, or they may call you chief, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. And I went, is that Bob Dylan? Is that everybody must get stoned Bob Dylan? It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve. I'm like, okay, even my alarm clock is preaching the gospel to me through a, through a legend of his generation. So then that morning at the Wesleyan Church, there I am, and I hear this song, though millions have found him a friend and have turned from the sins they have sinned, the Savior still waits to open the gate and welcome a sinner before it's too late. And then I found myself out in the aisle and I'm like, what am I doing in the aisle? And then I found myself moving this way. Then I'm kneeling at the front at the altar and nobody else has come around. None of the youth groups come around, just me for the whole world to see, spotlight. There I am. And I lifted my hands like this and I said, Jesus, help me. And then I felt my Aunt Jessie's hands on my shoulder. Then I felt like God put me in a heavenly rocket ship and the weight of a thousand worlds lifted off my shoulders that day. And I went home that afternoon to read my Bible and the song triggered in my mind, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's how my start was. Three times, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And you know what? That morning, I knew that song in here. In here. For the Bible tells me so. Let's think about that for a minute. For the Bible tells me so. They asked one of the greatest scholars in, in history, Carl Barth, one time, of all the things, it was at the University of Chicago to Q&A, and they asked Carl Barth what was the greatest thing that he's learned in all the years of studying the Bible. And he looked out at this young student and he said, of all the things I've learned studying the Bible, this is what means the most to me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
There is a phrase in Psalm 139, verse 14, that David, as he's talking to God about being aware that God is watching over him beyond comprehension, and he says about God forming him, and then he says how much he realizes God loves him, and he says, and my soul knows this very well. Wonderful are your works, O Lord, and my soul knows it very well. David was basking in the revelation of the loving kindness of the Lord. And he says, my soul knows this. Not just my head, my soul knows this very well. And the Holy Spirit today wants every believer, every child of God, and every soon-to-be child of God, maybe you're on heaven's watch list here, or you're watching, or you're listening, because that's how it works. You may not even be planning to listen and you'll and you'll hit a podcast and you meant to hit one about conspiracy theories and by accident you hit LOH and someone's saying you Jesus loves you and you've heard it your whole life but this time it's like what happened to me that time because God wants you to know it very well the heart of heaven for me the heart of heaven for you, the heart of heaven for us, the heart of heaven for the city, the heart of heaven for the nation, the heart of heaven for the nations. God wants us to know this. He wants us to experience this. Of all the truths and all the things that can manifest to our heart, the, from Alpha to Omega, from Genesis to Revelation, what God wants us to know is this, and he wants us to know it very well because he wants it to sustain us. Jesus loves me this. I know. Because the Bible tells me so. Don't give this up. The world is shaking. Tomorrow, Xi and Putin are meeting for a summit. Saudi Arabian kings, princes, have met and will be meeting about a new agreement with energy with the CCP. This morning, it's reported out of North Korea that eight 100,000 North Koreans have signed up for the North Korean military. How you doing in your March Madness brackets? How you doing? There's other things going on. Locally, over 300 people have just lost their jobs in our Area. People all over America and the world are in cancer wards. Maybe you're here today and your marriage is an Instagram cute. Jesus wants you to know this. From Jesus Christ who loves us. 
The Bible truths are the solid foundation when all the other foundations shake. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And he wants us to know this, what Paul knew, and what he wanted the Romans to know, and what he wants us to know. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. The Gospels tell us so. The leper is so broken. He is so broken, he's not sure God cares. Nobody else cares. He's not sure that if, if God is not wanting him isolated. And he comes to Jesus and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I will. And he touches him. The demoniac who's cut himself in the cemetery, solitary confinement of his demonic, hellish storm. Jesus goes across the Galilee and risks his own life, knowing that after he touches this man and sets him free, that whole town's going to ask him to get out. But he goes just for that man because the love in his heart would go for one. If only one person in human history needed saved, he would have died just for that one. It's always about one. He said, if 99 are in and one go, I'm going for the one. Jesus loves me, this I know. But not because I'm walking with him. Not because I've come into this thing. Listen, Paul said, God demonstrated his love present active in this while we were sinning Christ died for us Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so when the love of God touched my heart, that song was activated in my life. But it's not just the Bible that tells me so. This I know in my life, for my mother showed me so. We just honored her this past week. I hope I honor her the rest of my life. I haven't grieved yet. We haven't stopped to grieve yet. Paul writes a letter to this young pastor, coincidentally named Timothy, who was in Ephesus. And he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your mother. And I am persuaded now lives in you. So overwhelmed by all the people that came from four o'clock to seven o'clock. You made us late for the Mexican restaurant because you guys were still rolling in at seven o'clock. That's all right. But there was so many of you came through, and this one lady that I knew her, I knew her, but she comes through and she said, I just want to say again, uh, 
your, mo your mom babysat my son who is now a man and married and I think he's, old well, I know he's older than my son. And, he, and she said, you know, uh, she would come over to our house. I, I worked and, uh, and it was in the spring or summer. And after I got home from work, a couple of days in, the neighbors came over and said, boy, I want to tell you something. If you wonder whether or not you found a good babysitter, you've hit the jackpot. And she said, why? She said, well, uh, Miss Ina had the window open in your house and was rocking your baby and we heard her singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Well, I, I ran into this boy who is a man at a, at a, at a, at a, at a mutual friend's wedding, uh, Catherine's wedding, a, and, uh, a few years, uh, how many years? Five years? Gosh, you're getting old. Um, <laughs> Five years? Jeez, uh, man. And, uh, and, I met, and I got to talk to him. And he said he remembers my mother singing Jesus Loves Me to him. This I know for my mother showed me so. The power of a mother. Jeez. One day as a small child, Thomas Edison came home from school and gave a paper to his mother. He said to her, Mom, my teacher told me not to open this and give it to you only and have you read it when I got home. What does it say? She opened it, her eyes went into tears as she read the letter out loud to her son. Quote, your son is a genius. This school is too small for him and does not have good enough teachers to train him. Please teach him yourself. <laughs> His mother did that. She later fell ill and passed away. Many years later, after her death, Thomas Edison found that letter and read it. Here's what it really said. Your son is mentally deficient. You cannot let him attend our school anymore. He is expelled. Thomas became emotional when he read it and then he wrote in his diary, Thomas A. Edison was a mentally deficient child whose mother turned him into the genius of the century. I said at my mom's eulogy, I could never get any constructive criticism out of her. If I bombed in a sermon and I'd say, Mom, was it? She'd say, Oh, it was wonderful. Oh, it's good. When I was when I was really little, my mom used to sing me to sleep. I'm sure you're, you you all know that world too. And she sang the songs that you're the end of my rainbow, my pot of gold, your mommy's little boy to have and to hold, uh, your sugar, your spice, your everything nice, uh, 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 all these things. I thought she made that up in, for me. That song. Well, then when Tammy, my, uh, uh, one of my other sisters came along, my mom started singing that song to her, and I remember thinking, you didn't like my work? I mean, what? Um, whenever I was at Pittsburgh before my mom's surgery, I was the only one there, and we had a, a couple hours before they took her down to pre-op. And it was the most clarity that she had uh, ever, uh, Ever. 
and never, and never would again for me. And we're sitting there in her room and she reaches over and she touches my shirt. She goes, you always dress so nice. And then she said, I really appreciate how you lead your church. You always preach the word of God so well. And all of a sudden, I started weirding out inside. I didn't show it outside. I thought, God, you're giving me a moment because my mom's not going to make it through the surgery, and I don't want this moment. I don't want this moment. I appreciate all, but I don't want this moment. I want my mother. I don't want... Well, she, we had our, our mother from December to March, but we didn't have her really... And God gave me that moment. What my mother was saying to me that day was, you're the end of my rainbow, my pot of gold. Um, you're a genius. <laughs> no, I'm not. I used to say, and I, I used to say this, and it would get me mad because I'd want, I would say, I really want to know what you think. Oh, it was wonderful. Don't ever, it was wonderful. And I'd be like, Mom, quit lying. I was always way overrated by her. The only time when I really wanted her to say that was when I got other kinds of criticism and that I didn't want, and then I'd call and say, Mom, uh, how did you like the sermon? I preached in a local prison a while back and when I was getting started was a room full of guys that looked like they could break me like a matchstick and I said how many of you are thankful because you had a praying mama and I saw these big massive giant men just begin to cry their eyes out there's something about a mom's power. Jesus loves me, this I know, because my mother showed me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for others have revealed it so. All of my friends are better friends to me than I am to them. It overwhelms me. I've had so many people show me love through so many things in life. I'm sure you have too. Timely words, gifts of kindness out of the blue, just presence with a C-E, not a T-S, although T-S are good too. Presence of people just being there. People a lot of times say to me, I would have done this or I would have prayed for that person the altar, but I didn't know what to say. And what I always say is people when they're in crisis aren't gonna remember what you say, but they're gonna remember who was there. They're gonna remember who was there. That presence God most of the time doesn't help me in my troubles with giving me answers. He helps me with his presence and swallows up the questions with himself. And that's what good friends do. Right before I went to Scotland, I was having a time in the Word with the Lord and I was studying Ephesians to get into that series, the ever, never-ending series, and we're gonna get back into it. And I came across the prayer of Paul when he talks about being filled with all the fullness of God by having the love of Jesus grab you. And, and I prayed a prayer that day, Lord, I really wanna move into that in my life. And I get to Scotland and we're in a, we're in a, we're in a cafe in the morning and everybody's there, we're having a great time. And I get a text from America from a pastor wife, dear friends of mine, and she 
told me earlier that summer that every Wednesday, every Wednesday, she prays for me. Every Wednesday. And it was Wednesday morning in Scotland, and I get a text from her, and she said, as I was praying for you today, I couldn't get Ephesians 3 out of my spirit, and I feel it's for you. And she read it from another translation, and I had prayed on the way over there on Ephesians 3, God help me to really, really believe this and not be doubtful of it. And she said, and the one thing I want you to know, Tim, is God doesn't ever want you to doubt. So my friend Alexa at 6 p.m. every night since I came back from Scotland, reminds me, Tim, never doubt. I never want to forget these God moments that he creates. Jesus loves me, this I know, for others have revealed it so. Jesus loves me, this I know, because I have allowed him so. In the Gospel of John, Wednesday night plug, in the Gospel of John, you don't even get through the second chapter when Jesus starts using this idea, my hour has not yet come. Remember the first one was the wedding feast? My hour, fix this problem, my hour hasn't come. And he says it later to his brothers who want him to go up and prove himself, my hour has not come. But in John 12, there's a pivot moment when something takes place, and actually what it is is the Greek world, the Gentile world, wants to meet Jesus, and they tell Philip, and Philip tells Jesus, and very distinctly, when that takes place, Jesus says, my hour has come. And then what he says will happen in his hour is he'll be like a seed that will fall into the ground and die. And then he says, should I ask God to save me from this hour? No, for this hour is why I came into the world. In John 13, John opens up the story when they're at the table, and it says, and Jesus, it says, and Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, gets up from the table, removes his outer garments, wraps a towel around himself, fills a basin with water, and it says, knowing the hour had come, knowing he had come from God and was going back to God, he was now going to show the disciples the full measure or full extent of his love. And I thought, that's an interesting phrase. I want to see if that's the same Greek word, because I have a feeling it is, the same Greek word that he uses on the cross when he says it's finished. And do you know what it is? He shows them the full measure of his love. It's telios. In the form on the cross in John 19, he says, tetelestai. It means paid in full. It means I've taken this full course. I've carried it across the line. Full. Finished. Jesus, knowing that it's his hour and he's going to pay in full, shows the disciples how fully, how agapeo, he is committing himself to each one of them, including Judas, who had his feet washed as well. Jesus loves me, this I know, because I've allowed him so. And like a slave, 
He gets down at the feet of the 12 and he washes their feet. It's symbolizing he's going to shed his blood to cleanse them. And he promises them after he does it that because what he does is about to happen, the Holy Spirit is going to come and they're going to know a love that's going to come to them from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to bring it. And this kind of love is going to be deeper than a spouse's love. It's going to be deeper than a parent's love. It's going to be deeper than a relative or your very best friend. It's the same kind of love the Father has for Jesus, and it's going to be in their heart, in the house of their soul for each one of them, and he's going to show them that symbolically, and Peter pushes back. And he says, no, you shall never wash my feet. And he says, unless I wash you, Unless you let me in here, you have no partnership with me. In other words, we'll have, you could do ministry, you could, but we'll have nothing in common. If, you're, if you have a vacuum concerning my love in the residency of your spirit house, we have no koinonia whatsoever because anything done in the name of me apart from the agapeo that I'm going to impart is totally foreign to my Father, to me, or the Holy Spirit completely foreign. It's a strange sound. It's a gong. It's a crashing cymbal. It's, it's, it's the fingernails on the chalkboard in the name of Jesus. Peter, if you don't allow me to bring my love for you in, So as the Father has loved me, I want to love you like that. Reasons for the pushback, we all have them. Some of them are co come because of our concepts of God, our concepts of ourself. Life traumas can create those concepts. Church traumas. Have you ever seen in your life how many people are coming out saying they're walking away because of horrible things that took place in their church and they really did and they're horrible things and it's heartbreaking. We can have pushback because of poor examples. We can have pushback because of bad preaching and bad preachers and bad teaching and bad teachers. Concepts of God, com concepts of self from how you were raised or not. That Thomas Edison's mom actually read the real letter through a fit and marked a kid and paralyzed him. How many kids will never know what they could have accomplished? Because in the gate, in the embryonic center, in the children's church ministry of their day, there was not a, Jesus loves me, this I know. Other reasons are the cons, the cons that the devil plays on all of us. Other reasons, condemnation. The sins that you thought were all gone have come back to visit. 
and the concrete has been smoothly laid down and you stepped in it again and there's your mark. And you know Bible and you know what ought. You're a good ought and should Christian and therefore you're haunted and you're even judging yourself more intensely than God does. And you're under condemnation. So the pushback, why? I don't deserve the love. I don't, des- I don't deserve... Let me go work things out, Jesus. You know, you, you, I, gotta, I should be slaving up to you. I, I should be, that's what, that's the concept we've had. Some. Knowing what Jesus really thinks about us, feels about us, longs for us to know, that's really the deepest need of every person's soul. That's really the deepest need of every person's soul. You know, you can get leprous in your conscience to the point you can't feel, and then you can't feel, and then you wonder, does God really, and and we approach the Lord like a leper, and we say, if you want to, it's, it, it's, it's, it's been so embedded that it's pulling away at the tentacles of our faith, and we can't even discern whether he wants to. Why would he want to? The devil will tell you he won't. You can read the scriptures in a way that almost condemns you to the point that you have no faith to reach up or reach out. Get somebody else to pray your prayer, somebody else to praise your praise. And we can't feel And the Lord says, I love you, but I can't. There's no partnership here. There's no organic chemistry between the two of us. There's no agapeo coming out of your life because you're so intensely obsessed on your failures and your faults. And you live, as my friends and I used to say, we're living in the condo. Jesus loves me, this I know, because I've allowed him to do so. When Peter gets it, what does he say? Lord, not just my feet. (laughs) Gully wash me, man. You know, come on, bring it in, Lord. I mean, hug me, sloppy agape, the whole thing, come on. Jesus, I, right? Please. When the Father longed to make himself known to us, he revealed the love of a son. The great Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards says, Jesus is not only excellent in majesty and perfect purity and brightness, but he's also the sweetest grace. One who has clothed himself with mildness and gentleness and love. Jesus is exceedingly ready to receive you. Given our sinfulness, we can be shocked to find that our sins cause him to be all the more ready to give his heart to us. We will unexpectedly find him with open arms to embrace us, ready forever to forget all our sins as though they had never been. Wasn't that the surprise of the prodigal son? He comes with his spiel. He comes with his, he worked out the speech, made sure it crossed all the theological things of repentance and ba 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 And the father's like, I think Jesus loved to tell that story. I think he loved it. I think if they ever said, hey, you got a story? He said, well, yeah. There was a son and a father. I think he went there. That was his go-to. I think that was his go-to. I was, I, was, I was thinking about that, and then I began to just create, and I thought, what would I do if I could hear Jesus say my name? How would he say it? Yeah. 
If he was in the next room in my apartment and I heard him praying for me, what would it sound like? What would you do if the Lord looked right at you to tell you, I really love you? Nothing can separate you from the love I have for you. What would happen if you could hear that? Well, he who has ears to hear, it's in here. Jesus of Nazareth, the sinless and perfect God-man, completely God, completely man, he's filled with perfect and pure compassion, untainted, love for every single person, whether they're sick and undone and unable to be free from the incurable malady of their own nature, rather than judging on all of us, he's moved more toward us, to touch us, to embrace our leprous life, to embrace us to the fullest, weep with us, rejoice with us in our liberation. He longs for us to stand firm in the freedom. He gave himself for our sins and washed us in his blood. In his blood. And he thinks it not robbery to share with us his inheritance from the Father. When he comes out of the grave, he tells Mary Magdalene to go tell my brothers. Not my slip, my brothers. Tell them, I am going to my God and their God, my Father and their Father. He thinks it not robbery to share a sonship at the right hand of God with us. That's back to Ephesians. What kind of love is that? Where Jesus has a friendliness in his heart toward people who are his. A friendliness. He offers a friendship that gets underneath the pain of our loneliness. Dane Ortland writes so beautifully in the gentle and tenderness, the lowliness of Jesus. He will never coolly welcome us, but will always warmly welcome us. If other friends fail us, he will never fail us. Wanna, let, me, let me give you a, a verse that's just one of the most powerful verses. It's, it's, it's usually untouched. Some people capture it in some worship songs. I love this. It's in Zephaniah, which that whole book, Zephaniah, the, the book of Zephaniah is like you open it up and you begin in the first four verses or so. It's like, it's like judgment bombs from heaven on Israel for being apostate. And there it goes. And in the midst of this, in the third chapter, Zephaniah sees this future that's going to come from this one who's going to pay it all. He's going to teleos it all. And then God's going to bring everybody to this place. And this is what it says. It says, the Lord, your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. And I love this. He will rejoice over you with singing. You know, I said, what would you do if you heard Jesus pray for you? What would you do if you heard Jesus singing over you? 
That's not a one-hit wonder. That's, that, 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 you'll never, for, you'd never forget it. I wonder if he meets us, if he just breaks out in song in heaven. I wonder if that's the way. I wonder if he welcomes us in with a song. Or we, would we be being unjust or stretching the scriptures? It says he will rejoice over you with singing. Paul knows that this is the keystone for our continuous intimacy with God. And he writes to people who've had it, who, who have the Holy Spirit, who are washed in the blood, who are positionally holy and blameless in his sight. But then he says, but I continue to pray this prayer. Again, because he realizes this this continual ministry of Jesus to us that we make room for without being conned out of it by the thief. It's so important because apart from this organic agapeo that's, that's coming into our life, we are, we're a vacuum in our ministry, we're a vacuum in our worship, Paul actually goes on to say, even in your spiritual gifts, no matter what they are, if you can have faith to move all the mountains, not just one, and this agapeo is not in you, you're nothing. And so Paul understands this. This is the rhythm. This is the heartbeat. This is the juice of the church. It's this love that Jesus wants to continually bring into our life. And it's a spiritual ministry of the Holy Spirit who must be welcomed in the church because without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you're without the ministry of Jesus. Without the ministry of Jesus, you're without the ministry of the Father. And without the ministry of, of the Father, you're without the ministry of the other. And it's, they're one. They're, they're not like one over here. They're all one. And every time we gather together, the Holy Spirit passionately wants to touch every leper, every believing leper, every orphan-spirited son, every liberated person in the blood of Jesus who lives under condemnation like they're on death row. And his heart, his heart longs to mess us up in the sense that he comes down from below to shock our world of, un oh, I oh God, no, I'm worthy. I'm, you can't do that. I, I haven't. Paul says in this prayer, this is why, because this is the war. This is the war. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in agape may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, I always think of Jazzy when I say, how wide, and remember when Jazzy did this, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ? Because what does this do? It's to know this love is beyond knowledge. It's felt, not more than telt, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Romans 5, he says it another way. When you trust and hope in him, he's never going to shame you because the love of God is shed abroad. 
in your heart by the Holy Spirit. If something was shed abroad in this room, that means everybody would be touched with it. Everywhere. Nothing left out. The love of God. This offer is available to everybody. Let's close with this. Jesus loves me this, I know. But my world needs to know it's so. You know, the world is always good at pointing a... What, uh, which sometimes is a justifiable accusing finger at the failures of the church and the, as the excuse of why they're not coming and that's why they're not living for Jesus. Well, they might have a valid reason, but not before God. Because the offer is not available through the church. It's available straight from God. The offer is available. And I always say to the experts that know how we all do it wrong, come on in, do it right, and we'll follow you. The greatest need in sons and daughters, the greatest needs in adult sons and daughters is for the soul to know this very well. Jesus loves me. This I know. It's not just the Bible that tells me so. I can feel it. I can feel it in my soul. Jesus loves me. This I know. I've talked for weeks in this old time religion series about the upcoming Jesus revolution. Let me just say this as we close. I believe that the, what's going to crack the safe, if you want to say it that way, if you want to get the, if you want to get the right down, you know, the old, the old thief movies where they put their ear up to the, and they try to hear the tumblers. You know what I believe will crack the safe of a whole generation? You know what I believe will crack the safe? The love of Jesus. It's a safe cracker. The love of Jesus is what causes the nuclear bomb to not detonate. The love of Jesus is what makes a man who's riding home from work, who's contemplating doing some really bad, dumb things that could ruin his life, but there's a fever there. You know what? The love of Jesus meeting him at the door. The love of Jesus is the answer. Kids ministry and those who serve and shine kids, you're the hero you're the heroes here because there's a kid down there here's the vision Jesus loves me these little kids when the monsters come out of their closet like they did in my closet when I was five and six years old when the monsters start calling me from underneath the bed when I you know but you have you have a Sunday school teacher you have a shine kids leader that's taught you a verse he's giving you a memory verse and that little kid like Timmy McGregor at seven years old would say, would say what time I am afraid I will trust in thee Psalm 56 3 
That was my go-to passage when Dracula was coming out of the closet for me as a kid. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee, Psalm 56, 3. Yeah. The move. You know what the bridge is? You know what the bridge is? Nobody's invited me to the dance. Nobody's invited me to the prom. They're making fun of my looks. They make, because I don't do this and I don't do that. And I, I don't, I'm not invited in the reindeer games. But Sunday night, if I can just get to Sunday night, if I can just get to the move, if I can just get to the move, because there's a community, there's a bridge. And I get reminded every week, Jesus, anybody listening to this? Jesus loves me, this I know. I want everybody to stand, please. Peter, Peter, when he's preaching, Jesus is raised, Jesus has gone to heaven, and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and Peter's preaching, and he says, he says, God, turn to God, turn to God so that your sins can be washed, wiped away. And then I love this phrase, church, hear this phrase, so that times, plural, so that times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. I pray today that the love of God would be theologically claimed again. To the honor of God, we by faith, whether we feel it or not, say, I believe in the love of God revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. But with that said, I believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit who takes the word and manifests it as fresh bread in the house of faith. And the Spirit of God is here today. Jesus is doesn't want one of us distant from his longing to refresh us this morning. A time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord in the love of God. So I want to pray this over you. Would you just close your, heart, your eyes and open your heart? Maybe open your hands. to receive the love of Jesus. Lord, I pray for everybody watching, for everybody listening. I pray for everybody in this room that out of your glorious riches that you would strengthen every person in here with power through the Holy Spirit that lives in their inner being. That Jesus the King would rise up big in the, in the, in the dwelling place of their soul. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that every person here would go deep in rooted faith, established, established in the love of God. I pray that even if they don't grasp it or understand it mentally, would know in their heart a love that surpasses anything they can grasp. And that love right now, right now, that healing love, that holy love, that 
healthy love, that home rescue love, that leaving the past behind love and having a brand new beginning love would grasp every person here. Wonderful Holy Spirit. Wonderful Holy... I don't want to pass out the bread and miss a bite myself. Lord, wrap the love of Jesus around those on this platform, those from the front to the back, for we need it so. And then, Lord, we pray that you'd use us. We pray that we would go with the agape love of God filling us and using us for a people who need to know. I believe this cracks the safe. I believe this rescues those who are deconstructing before our very eyes, who are having a wrong kind of meltdown because of offense and abuse. I pray, oh God, that the love of Christ would apprehend them all around this nation. A fresh baptism of the love of Jesus. We just open ourselves to sing a song to the Lord and pray that you would minister to us as we minister to you, Jesus. And may we all be filled with your wonderful love. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.